Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. The only one that's making your money is you. So hold on. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, episode 278 of the Bitcoin Podcast. Um, this is 279. This is 278. This is 278. Just look over there on Trello. Um. This is 278. This is 278. <laughs> this is, We're so bad at this. This is why we use production software, Corey, so we can stay up on what we do. Uh, so this is an atypical episode. I'm actually in Corey's basement with him. Live. Live. Uh, I'm the host that talks first, uh, D. I'm the host that talks second, Dr. Corey Petty. And uh, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast for you new people. Um We've got an exciting episode here for you today. We're going to talk about gaming and crypto and why like it's the it's the most fertile ground, I think. If if crypto gets it right, if these small groups in the Ethereum community can provide non-fungible tokens that are gangsta and transferable and kind of sexy. And it gives people a reason to go out and buy these things and use them or build them into their video games. It's really fertile ground. It's like the primordial news. Here's the here's the thing that needs to happen that hasn't happened yet with respect to games. It's got to be a good game, right? So right now, I think people have been making <laughs> games and using like crypto, crypto technology, you know, non-fungible tokens for trading things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's been focused mostly on the currency. And like once we kind of nail that down, then someone who makes good games yeah. needs to step in and, and make something. Um, I haven't played with one yet, but I'm like, oh, I want to play this. I'm going to keep playing this. Like I think, um, I think they're there's a few of them. There's a few of them that have, have potential, but I haven't like, it, it, the, like, the platforms aren't there. It's hard to get. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to actually play the game and develop into it share with my friends who aren't crypto people all that type of stuff and because of that like so what there's mm-hmm. like i i play games and i think like man this would be cool if it had like i could trade this or there was a market for this type of stuff and i remember that we're looking back one of the big things that i used to do um was play a game called diablo diablo sorry dogs are El shaking diablo. and one of the first things that they did when they came out with diablo 3 was they came out with the real money auction house Mm-hmm. And that was a place where you play through the game. For those who don't know who Diablo, Diablo is, it's a it's a dungeon, um, like hack and slash, mm-hmm. where you just go and kill dungeons, kill yeah. a bunch of monsters, and they drop loot, and you collect better and better and better loot over time. It's like Double Dragon on acid. Yeah, but you get to collect loot and make your character better. Yeah. And then sometimes you collect loot that's not for your character, so you can sell it or trade it, trade it with somebody. No doubt. And for the first time in Diablo 3, they made a marketplace where you could literally sell items for real money mm. called the real money auction house you could either do it for in-game currency or real money and that made it that made a link between um what gold was worth with respect to real money in the in the game right that was basically created an exchange rate through all these people trying to sell loot in the game how was it gamed how was it fucked with 
Oh, it became the game became the real money auction house. Literally, people farmed the game. Like once this was, once this link was made, they farmed the game and they, they basically made characters that and they made bots that would do this when they were gone. They would just farm and farm and farm and only pick up um, items under certain thresholds of criteria that they were looking for, and then they sold those and they made money. I sold things for over one hundred twenty dollars. Damn, I mean that's not a lot when you look at like CGSO skins and things like that. CS:GO, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not that's nothing compared to what people pay for in skins and gun skins for that but like the game became basically just farming Mm -hmm. and 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 playing buying buying low and selling high of people trying to sell things that didn't understand the value of them and the game wasn't diablo anymore it was just make money on the real money auction house they eventually shut that down because they realized that no one was playing the game anymore alicia if you're listening uh I want to interview these people that sell video game items for a living. Or Look at the bro. people that buy. He didn't do it for a living. He did it for fun. He, he's made significant money on it. He Col- did. I think Colin has also sold characters on like maybe EverQuest or something. Uh, so you basically you level up a character to a certain point and you sell it so that people don't have to go through the rigmarole of leveling up a character and getting it to a certain point so they can just start playing. I like sh- the... The blockchain aspect of all of this is that it becomes you understand the transparency, you understand the history of these things, you understand like real ownership, you understand yeah. the uniqueness That's in the a lot of ways. Of the real uniqueness. Like yeah. I know that this item is one of a kind and the best there is. And yeah. there's and there's no way that anyone else could make something similar to it. That's the cool thing, is like if, I, I usually play MMOs for like two months at a time and then I realize it's a walking simulator and I don't I'd rather just walk in real life. <laughs> but I always thought it was really cool. Like finding the weapons is the coolest part. Like you see a nice shiny purple weapon on the ground and you're like, oh purple, that's my shit. And you go and you pick it up and it's like, oh, plus fifteen to charisma. Oh my god. Like it's just a good feeling. It would be an even better feeling if you could pull up like a complete dossier on that weapon and say like, oh, it's killed this many orcs, it's killed this many dragons, it's been repaired this many times, it's been imbued. Imbued, is that the word? It's a word. It's been imbued with magic like this. So if you imbue it with magic, you might create something even better. Like you could just see the history of the of the weapon. How would it work with with sports? Like, say, how would how would outside of gambling, basically, how, what could you do with sports? Because you have like most of the money that comes in through um, people gamifying things like football is like fantasy football. Mm-hmm. How would crypto make a difference there? Mm. Um, I mean, players could have tokens. Players could have tokens that could have different value on the market. There's, they already do that. Players have different value. And like in the fantasy football league that I'm in, that I suck at, as an auction league. So the better players cost more. And your team, if you get like two great players, then the rest of your team is going to be trash because you don't have the money to pay for them. Right? So it can be done. Is it like, worthwhile explaining what a non fungible token is? It is worthwhile. All right. So. Um, let, you give it a sh- let me give it a shot and then you give it a shot. Okay. No, so a non-fungible token. So fungibility, if I have $100 bills, $1 bill equals $1 bill. But if those bills were non-fungible, then each bill would have a different value, could have a different value. But that's kind of a shitty explanation. What I like to think of it is like <laughs> baseball cards, right? Like a Mark McGuire is worth more than a Jesse Williams third baseman from the 1950s you know what i'm trying to say like different items within the same i guess class of item have different value like trading cards things like that um they say it's non-fungible because it's not like one to one you don't like they're not equal they're not each each individual item within the set is not equal yeah so what that means is that a fun like a fungible item is is dollars like yeah. I can use any dollar and it's always going to be worth the same. People will just accept a dollar. doesn't matter what serial number it has on it. It's a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so dollar bills are, are is, is a fungible currency. So because 
the denomination and the value of each individual piece is always the exact same. There's there there there's no individuality to them. Whereas non-fungible tokens or non-fungible non-fungibility means that each item in the set is its own thing within within the set. Mm-hmm. And so you think about like you said, trading cards, anything that that has. And so when you think about like mostly like supply chain logistics, um, tracking physical goods, this is all non-fungible tokens. And what Ethereum has done. Um, mostly is create standards around how you programmatic like program that and turning into a digital token so that it has some type of it has a you know general purpose character set that can be used so that you can create markets around these things because like what happened if we take what the standardization of the ERC20 token is which is a fungible token um that was, in my opinion, a good point to the rise of the ICO boom. Mm-hmm. Because not only did it make it very easy for people to make tokens that other people can interact with, but it also allowed for the marketplaces, the exchanges, the uh, third-party applications, everything else to build around it because they knew how to interact with the token. Mm-hmm. They knew at least the minimum functionality the token would have, and they can then build things that allowed you to trade them automatically and programmatically. Yeah. And so when you have the same thing for a, for, for a non-fungible token, which is there are a few standards, then you can start to then build things that interact with all any, any non-fungible token, regardless of whoever creates it. And you can create marketplaces and third-party things. And what in, in terms of if we bring it back to gaming, this then means that like I can take things that I potentially earn from one game in terms of non-fungible tokens and move them to another game. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an ability that you don't really have these days unless it's all games are made within a specific game company, like, you know, rest in peace, Blizzard, mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're fuck-ups. But, like, they did that mostly, uh, more than most, is because you could take stuff from one game and then it ended up giving you some type of other item or something in a different game. But when you standardize this, you can... Do it way, way, way easier, and the, and the barrier of entry or the, or the or the price, what something is worth in one game is automatically figured out in the other game, just based on mm-hmm. how people use it outside of the game. And it also allows you to build a bunch of cool stuff that I don't think we're we can wrap our, our minds around yet. Mm-mm. I always thought that was the cool. Like MMOs are very fun; they're dangerously fun, um, because it like. You end up thinking about it too much outside of your normal life. Like I, I played Final Fantasy fourteen and I I became like a high wizard. It was dope, and then I found out how to craft. So then I was spending all of my time thinking about how to craft better. <laughs> and then I'm definitely I, one of those people who are like I'm a craft everything. I'm gonna be the best crafter alive. Exactly. And then I figured out in Final Fantasy you could have these like handmaidens that would sell your stuff for you automatically and get the best return so naturally me being me i found the pimp outfits you've you've heard eve yeah i've heard of eve i tried to play it but it was too much there's people that 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 is like the greatest story of uh an internet economy and then someone within that like a a major player within that economy just going rogue yeah there aren't about that there weren't I'll tell that story here in a little bit, but like something, there was an actual ship that got destroyed. Oh, right? so that not, was worth no, millions no. Of what dollars. happened? What happened was, okay, so um, Eve is like a is like a space exploration game, and it's very you know open world. You can interact with people, and and you could one thing that they did, which gave it gave the in game currency a a real value, was you could pay for the subscription of the game through in game currency. Yeah. Right, so you don't you could either just pay with dollars, or you could pay with the in-game currency by earning it through a myriad of methods within the game. And so, this the in-game economy was a real economy. People built insurance companies, they built Jesus yeah. banks, so on and so forth. And one of the largest banks within the game, the guy said, "Well, fuck all of you. I'm taking all of your money. I'm 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 making and buying the most expensive ship that's far beyond anybody else's capability." Here's my here's my coordinates. Come after me. Go fuck yourself. And people exploded. <laughs> like it was it was and, and people had basically invested a good portion of their lives into yeah, making this currency and putting it in this bank because it was a real bank. Well, you know, 
it, it, it operated like a real bank. Might as well have been. And this guy just took it because there were no checks and balances. There were there was no regulation. There's, there's, it was an in, it, was, it was a video game, mm. and and it was it, it's like one of the largest turmoils in I think video game history that I I've ever heard of. But what's interesting about all of this stuff um, is that like games are useful for me, especially in the context of new technology, because it allows us to create new worlds with new rules and new systems and test them out in a context that's not life or death, right? Mm -hmm. Like the consequences of getting it wrong are relatively low. And once the game gets bigger and bigger and bigger, if the system works, the system works. And then you can take that set of rules and apply it elsewhere Mm -hmm. in the real world context. And so what we're doing is we're playing with new, like in blockchain, is we're playing with new rules about money and how to use it and the communities around them that then use those new rules and how they interact socially and figuring out how it works. And games are the perfect setting to do this. Yeah. And that's why I think that they're, like, they're probably the biggest thing in this space um, in terms of real innovation is because it allows you to innovate with the rules and the people engaging in those rules and see what actually happens. I mean, that alone, just the ability... Um just the ability to track a weapon or track some magic usage like that stuff is really cool. And if it were done on a blockchain, um, that would that ideally lower the cost of operations for whichever gaming company that decided to implement that. Um, they just have to make sure they get it right the first, second or third time. Because uh, once it's on that blockchain, it's, it's going. I think that like, I think non-fungible tokens, if done well, could be like, that moment where someone needs to get crypto to, you know what I mean? It's like, um, right now they don't need crypto to enjoy stuff, but you need to get crypto to enjoy that experience of having a, having a weapon that is tracked for infinity and blah, blah, blah. I think, I just think it'd be really cool, but Let's kick it to the interview. Yeah, the whole reason we're bringing this up is because we interviewed a man by the name of Benny Jiang. Did I say that right? Probably not. Probably not even close. Jiang? Well, Jiang? 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 I don't know. We're really disrespectful. I say it correctly in the interview. So listen to the way Corey says it in the interview. Um, and he's the co-founder of CryptoKitties, uh, which almost broke Ethereum. Uh, he's a product manager at Axiom Zen. He's a, a background in psychology. Uh, user experience design and product growth. He's worked on a wide range of startups from industrial internet of things, knowledge management platforms, and assisted AI for sales representatives. So he's got a hefty background and he's applying it to blockchain development. I believe Cheese Wizards is fully funded. I'm pretty sure. It's been a while since I read that article on just the headers, but I'm pretty sure they've been funded for about two years straight now. You ain't got to say everything. Doing well, you, just, you just let him say it. Does he say it? I wasn't there. We talked about interview. it for a while. Yeah, he was not yeah. a part of this one. I was. We talk about all kinds of things, gaming. Some, reiterate some of the stuff we just talked about. It's a good interview. I mean, I it's he, he understands the concept of games and crypto. Dope. Does it? How does he feel about Pierce Brosnan? I don't. I don't think we talk about that. Good. Fucking can't stand that guy. Pierce Brosnan. Not Pierce Brosnan. Is his name Brosnan? Isn't the the the, the Bond the Bond guy? No, <laughs> shit. Did, did I just say the actor? Yeah. I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about Pierce, the weird guy. Brock Pierce? Brock Pierce. There. <laughs> I was like, who? what about Bond? What Are about you... James Bond? Why would he care about Goldeneye? I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, here it is. Got an interview for you. We have Vinny Chang with Cheese Wizards, or better yet, a founding member of Dapper Labs. Um, Vinny, why don't you give us a quick introduction as to kind of how you got into the space, and then we'll start talking about Dapper Labs, Crypto Kitties, and Cheese Wizards. 
Great. Well, thanks, Corey, for inviting me on the show. Really glad to be here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of rich history behind Dapper Labs and Axiom Zen, which is our parent company, and all the other products that people know us, know us by, specifically CryptoKitties and Cheese Wizards. Happy to talk about that. Uh, I joined uh, Axiom Zen about three years ago, which is our parent company. Uh, Axiom Zen was started about seven years ago as a venture studio here in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, we worked with Fortune 500 companies to build startups uh, and sometimes products and forming joint ventures. The revenue that we made from working with Fortune 500 companies, we actually built our own startups in the company. Uh, we spun out two profitable startups, one's called ZenHub. Uh, it's like a project, project management software similar to Asana, Trello, Jira, uh, the things that you're probably typically familiar with. The other company that we spun out is called Routific. Uh, they built a routing API for food delivery and fleet services to optimize the route. Uh, and at Axiom Zen, we also acquired an AR VR studio, and we have a small AI machine learning team. And as you can tell, Axiom Zen, we really enjoyed surfing the frontiers of new technology and building companies and building products that are used by millions of people around the world. And around 2017, um, I kind of uh, joined the team here at Axiom Zen that was the experimental team. Uh, it was also known as the jungle. And huh. the part of the <laughs> part of the jungle was to build and ship MVPs and products uh, in the span of one or two weeks. So they're very kind of uh, early stage and exploring new technologies. And around the summer of 2017 is when I joined the CryptoKitties team. Uh, and at that time, there was only about six team members, uh, mostly developers and some uh, designers. And uh, CryptoKitties was really the first foray for Axiom Zen into the blockchain space. Uh, before then, as you know, we were a typical SF, Silicon Valley yeah. startup company. Uh, and um, for me, I, I had a, a, a huge hurdle of understanding like blockchain. I remember like when I was told about Bitcoin and Ethereum, I was like, what is all this? So all this to say is that we're kind of a late bloomer to this. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of people in your podcast that are like, oh, I bought uh, Bitcoin at, in 2012 or 2014. And they, you know, made tons of uh, potential cash in 2017 during the, the, the bull run. Uh, but for us, we're pretty much product people. Um, we think really we're really centered around user design and user experience. And so with that, I was part of the team that built the alpha version and launched it at ETH Waterloo. And then uh, all of the hype came with the news and the coverage. Uh, and um, CryptoKitties continued to grow. And then I spent uh, a lot of my time actually traveling in Asia uh, last year and speaking at conferences and really bringing CryptoKitties on the world stage to um, China, Japan, Korea, and even in uh, Berlin and, and London. So that's what I spent most of my time doing last year. And then we worked on, we started working on our new game this year uh, in spring, uh, springtime called Cheese Wizards. So we could probably get into that uh, later on, but that's kind of the history of uh, me joining the company and uh, the types of products that uh, I've been able to work on so far. Man, that's, hell of a, that's a hell of a um, job experience, I'd say. Jumping into blockchain, then making something as big as CryptoKitties. Um, kind of coming in late. What's that? What's that experience like to make something that basically at the time broke Ethereum in terms of capacity and scale, um, and, and at, at the same time also developing the idea of the non fungible token and creating and helping create standardization around that type of thing. Yeah, you it, it, in the jungle. The conversations that we had at that time, you know, we were looking in things to things like around identity, right? Uh, now we have tons of other products for companies that have ICO'd around that. Uh, we were looking at uh, other solutions around enterprise uh, using blockchain to help uh, make their processes more efficient. So we, as we with backgrounds in enterprise SaaS or B2B SaaS, that was kind of the natural way of looking at this. Mm -hmm. um, but we came to this realization in 2017 was that we saw three headlines in the news. It was the price of Bitcoin, ICOs and hacks and scams that were happening on exchanges. And we looked at it from a different perspective, a different lens. Uh, and we were like, okay, 
blockchain is interesting. There's something here. Uh, we feel like there's enough momentum that means that this technology is important and it will impact people's lives. Um, but why is it why is it that only these three things are being talked about, and why is it the only three things that people care about? Uh, why aren't people actually shipping product? Uh, it's really weird. Um, you know, when I said that we ship the product every week or two weeks on Product Hunt, and we're very close to Ryan Hoover, and you know that's kind of the maker community that we're part of. Uh, we're very unfamiliar with the idea of writing a 30-page white paper and then raising tons of money and then sitting on it and not doing anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we're just like, okay, this is kind of backwards. So number one thing is let's, even though we want to solve all of these big problems in the world with blockchain, um, let's start off simple, right? Let's start off with something that um, people could interact with and it's an actual product we're not going to make a promise of a product we're not even going to ico on day one we're going to have a product that people could touch and people could play uh and uh, before then we didn't even know how to code in solidity and we learned that all and that was part of the the experiment that was crypto kitties and that also led us down this rabbit hole of looking at crypto collectibles and crypto art and we were really fascinated by it because uh, I mean, as with anyone, uh, as a child, I collected Yu-Gi-Oh cards and I have a huge collection of uh, a bunch of um, sports-related things in my house. And so um, for me, collecting things is a very natural thing, right? Like everybody here collects something. There's yeah. something that you value. Um, but, you know, within the ICO period, everything that, was, that people were talking about was just these coins, right, or these tokens, and they have some speculative value, apparently, from the white papers that are written. Um, but for us, we were very attracted to the art. And we looked at projects like Crypto uh, Punks and Rare Pepes and Spells of Genesis. They're really like the first generation of, like, what does it mean to put art on the blockchain, on collectibles? And we looked at them and we were like, hey, this is actually pretty cool. Can, they, can we do something more? Because all you do here is just buy it and then you... Wait. Have it in your and you have it in your wallet and and you wait and I don't know maybe one day like I don't know, ten years later this is worth a lot or something like that right so we looked at that and like okay there's no real utility you just buy and hold it I guess so that brought us down the path of like what if we built a game on the blockchain the world's first blockchain game and we we spent like three four months actually going down the rabbit hole of running genetic simulations uh, because CryptoKitties is all about breeding cats yeah. and having genetics. Um, so that was kind of the path we went down. And why did we pick cats? That's a common question we get. Uh, it's because uh, we believe that cats own the internet. Uh, they're like the internet meme. They're the, they're the mascots for the, some of the biggest tech companies. And, uh, you know, the other thing, design-wise. Everyone knows yeah, people you know, love cats. Exactly, exactly. So those things came together and, uh, that's how we created CryptoKeys. And uh, I'll tell you, like, we never expected it to do what it did. Uh, and I think it was the amount of energy around the world that was surrounding the prices, etc. cetera, yeah. were also there and sick of, the, sick of the same things as well. And they gravitated towards a real project that had real intentions of, you know, educating people about this amazing technology. All right. So two things here. Um... One, I want to know what lessons were learned that were then transitioned into Cheese Wizards. But first, I want to know what Cheese Wizard is and why why to move on to a new project and not try and like maybe revitalize CryptoKitties. That's a good question. CryptoKitties to date still consistently uh, is the top game uh, in terms of blockchain. We're, it's we're certainly not... the standard in terms of a lot of like um, when people try to refer to something or try to watch a contract or try and say something, they usually refer to CryptoKitties because of its popularity. Exactly. And uh, I mean, we're not counting gambling games like Fairwin and all the other ones that <laughs> uh, have popped up. Rest in uh, peace. You know, yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, for us, like the lessons learned for CryptoKitties, there are so many of them. I think it was our first foray into decentralized networks. Uh, there was like, a few lessons that we learned where um, I don't know if you play CryptoKitties, but when you breed these kitties together, it's all on chain. So um, it mixes the genetics and it creates a new token, which is a new kitty. And in order to give birth to that new kitty, someone on the network needs to call the function uh, give birth. Uh, and that allows for that 
person or that computer that calls the function to receive uh, the breeding part of the breeding fee. So it's kind of a, if you know from mining, like people mine the transaction and they get a fee, it's kind of the same thing, but on CryptoKitties. And at one point, uh, the network was so congested uh, that um, there was not enough computers around the world that were giving birth to kitties. So then the kitties were in labor that were past due. So like they would say like it would say 10 minutes to birth and then it would be like literally nine hours later. <laughs> uh, and so people were really worried about their cats not coming out. Uh, and so what we did was bump up. We bumped up the fee, the breeding fee of the network. So then people would, you know, be able to make some money. And then yeah. we had a, a network of basically digital doctors that were giving birth to kitties. <laughs> You've created an uh, ecosystem of exactly. digital doctors to give birth to kitties. Exactly. And so that was really amazing. But the downside of increasing the fee was then it was too expensive to breed. And then this whole dynamic of uh, crypto economics came right into our faces. And we were like, okay, like we bumped this up, but then no one plays the game. Now we had to bump it down. And so that's what we did. And then all of the doctors basically walked, went on strike and basically didn't want to give birth because we lowered the rate back. Uh, and basically over one night, we burned over like tens of thousands of dollars because we ran the only computer that was giving birth to all the kiddies around the world. Uh, that came of a cost uh, to us to run that. And that was coming into the face of reality of like a decentralized network and the constraints and very, and it's an experience that most other DApps or most other like developers don't uh, understand. And we really have a true sense of like the limited limitations uh, of uh, of a blockchain, uh, specifically Ethereum, at that point. Uh, if millions of people wanted to play a single game at that time, so that was a core lesson. That's one of many lessons that we learned, but it's the one that stuck with us for a very long time. And not only that, because like like the the the, the gas costs or the cost of doing things within your own ecosystem and CryptoKitties were affecting the entire ecosystem. And that's something you had to like. We all learned at the same time is that mm -hmm. like you don't you don't want to make an application that's beholden to the scale of another application. I'm assuming that's why um, cheese wizards and CryptoKitties have moved to the the, the flow blockchain yeah so flow has been in the works for nearly two years from conception to where it's at now um it's been under the the direction of Dieter Shirley, who's our cto uh he actually mined bitcoin very early on uh but sold most of it i think at a hundred dollars so uh a bit <laughs> early i think uh, but although i mean he got a lot of experience and uh, he's one of the smartest guy i know um, and so he kind of, uh, along with our research and development team during the early days of CryptoKitties, started off uh, investing, investigating and researching all of the other possible blockchains that are out there. Uh, we've, I think they talked to all of them, uh, NEO, EOS, everybody, and uh, got a deeper understanding of like, what are the limitations, what are the trade-offs with all of these other protocols and, uh, you know, also looked into ETH 2.0 and sharding and all of those things that are being proposed right now or being researched. Um, and essentially came to the conclusion that the solutions that are proposed, uh, both in the sense that uh, when you centralize all the nodes, that's not good because then that defeats the purpose. Yeah. Or in the other aspect where you break everything into shards, and then you have the problem of cross-chain communication and making sure that you know one thing happens and is translated to the next chain happens smoothly becomes a hugely complex problem. Um, and so looking at that, I think that Dieter and the R&D team, uh, now the Flow team, has uh, you know arrived at a solution that they feel very strongly could keep everything atomic, uh, keep everything on one chain. Uh, and has scalability based on the different types of nodes. Uh, it's a very novel way to pursue them. They worked with uh, professor uh, advisors from Stanford and all over and MIT and all over uh, the world, and um, and then we announced Flow. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. And, and the, the the point of Flow isn't to amaze people by transactions per second. I think that's been the common uh, point for all of the protocols that have come after Ethereum. It's like, hey, we got 10,000 TPS type of thing, uh, but what is the trade-off, right? It's a vanity um, metric in most, most cases. Exactly. And the main point of flow is to enable this 
kind of digital economy that is centered around a decentralized network. Um, one of the crazy things about CryptoKitties is there's a handful of players of CryptoKitties that have quit their jobs and they're digital cat, full-time digital cat breeders. Like wow. they don't have it on, they don't have LinkedIn on LinkedIn right now, but you know, to me, it's kind of offering a glimpse into a future where these digital economies or digital metaverses that we create could actually have um, sustainable revenue for people around the world. And we talk about remote working, like how we're right now talking over Google Hangouts and you're doing a podcast. Like remote work is already something that has taken over and has changed everything. And I think naturally is that all of the next young gen, the younger generation that is playing Minecraft or playing Fortnite or uh, super involved on Snapchat or Instagram story, they're a digital native uh, generation. And I can't wait to see what sort of things they could create and the value that they could create in these digital metaverses. So Flow is kind of enabling the open world uh, by having these economies live inside of the games that we create. And that's kind of the way that we think about it. It's much bigger than, hey, we're creating a new game. Uh, this is going to change the entire game, uh, actually. Uh, so that leads me down to like Cheese Wizards, right? I think yeah. you mentioned it briefly. Um, cheese Wizards... We took all the lessons learned from CryptoKitties. One of the amazing things is the third-party developer ecosystem that, set, that actually formed around CryptoKitties, right? We had people building tools to analyze uh, different gen genetics for the kitties. We had people build uh, kitty hats that allow you to put uh, ERC-20 hats on your ERC-721 kitties that composability actually opened up <laughs> the conversation for like ERC-1155, which is very popular now. Yeah. And other people are like, hey, we could stack these things. That's cool. And that actually, that kitty hats and crypto kitties opened that up. Uh, people build racing games for the kitties. There's also card games for the kitties. And at first we were like, oh, this is really cool. Like uh, these people are just big fans of crypto kitties. But then later on we discovered like, actually this is the true nature of blockchain native games. They enable this, not just the economy of players to play the game and be digital cap readers, but it enable and an ecosystem of people to build things on top and potentially build sustainable businesses. Yeah, you can build it. The, the ecosystem part of that is incredibly fascinating because there's a lot of different dynamics, aspects, um, atomic things within a single game that you can then codify into blockchain assets and then have like interaction between them and other games. I'm trying to see how like how, how cheese wizards take advantage of this. So cheese wizards. Is, in a nutshell, it's like Fortnite and PUBG. It's a battle royale game. And so there can only be one winner. Oh. And uh, all of this, the game logic, not only is the token NFT, that's pretty kind of like baseline now, right? Uh, the second one is the game logic, which is dueling. So the way that Cheese Wizard work is that you could cast five spells. It's fire, wind, or water. So it's essentially five rounds of rock, paper, scissors with your opponent. And... Um, well, you could do this using Amazon Web Services and making it not on off-chain and, and easily compute this, but people could gamify that. So the game logic, we put it all on the blockchain where there's a commit and reveal uh, where you commit your moves. It's encrypted. It's on the, on the blockchain, and then I commit my moves, and then we need to both encrypt the moves and reveal it, and then it shows who won. So that building that logic is on the blockchain. The third component of this is the whole entire tournament, which we're going to be running starting on October 14th uh, to probably mid-November, where it'll be a massive tournament that people will compete in. Right now, there is about uh, the equivalent to $110,000 or $120,000 USD that's in the prize pool. So that means that the one winner will win that entirety. Uh, that's equated to ETH, uh, but as you know, ETH is yeah. fluctuating quite a lot. Uh, and so all of that logic is also on the blockchain as well. And so what we've been what we've been amazed by is that we just had a Cheese Wizard hackathon with CoinList and a bunch of partners uh, all around the world, like Zero X and Augur and um, and other partners in different regions. And uh, from the hackathon, we've gotten so many amazing experiences, like Cheese DAO, or someone built a mobile app for uh, a mobile app for Cheese Wizards, and there's also like someone who wanted to create their own tournament based on forking our tournament. Uh, so what that opens up to is truly a composable experience where now the lessons we learned with the experiments that were built around CryptoKitties, we put that in the front stage and we want the community and we welcome the community to fork it, 
to organize their own tournament uh, and to, you know, have cheese wizards live on through the community. Uh, and so that composable aspect is really important to us and to cheese wizards. And that's kind of the, the reason why we built cheese wizards. It's, it's funny to me. I feel like your motto should be, it's, just, it's, it's, it's so cheesy because you're using, <laughs> you're using incredibly advanced, like bleeding edge technology. You're having people do hackathons that help build, help build out the ecosystem to trade these things, help manage these things, give, give governance around these things. And it's cheese wizards. Like, do you, do you find do you find some like playfulness in there? And I think that's a good. That's a big part of why there's success. In, why there was success in CryptoKitties is that it was fun to do, and you can start to attract people who aren't interested in blockchain to do this type of stuff. Do you feel like you're actually going to grasp a portion of the community that's outside blockchain to start using cheese wizards, and then maybe get some adoption within the ecosystem within blockchain? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, um, I mean, cheese wizard itself is a hilarious thing, like cheese and wizards. Uh, and if you've, seen, if you've seen them, you should really look at them. And we, the way we spell it, too, is with a Z. Uh, and, and, like, we're just, in some ways, we don't take ourselves too seriously. But we also do it as, as well. So yeah. it's kind of like this a duality, as you said. Um, I think that adoption-wise, you know, we talked about this a lot in, on the team, and I think that's where we think that Cheese Wizards pretty much a game for people who are already in crypto because there are some complexities around it. I think that CryptoKitties is still much more easier for people to grasp. Um, being that Cheese Wizard has the component of winning a prize pool, which we call the big cheese, uh, it kind of targets a different audience within the crypto space. Um, but at the same time, it's not like on the spectrum of like fair win and FOMO 3Ds, like Cheese Wizard has taken months of development and actually this week we have our closed beta and next week we'll have our open beta where anyone, uh, even listeners on the podcast could actually go to Cheese Wizard and play. It's on Rinkby, so it doesn't cost you anything, but you'll see all of the work that we've spent in the many months, uh, you know, up front and people could play the game and it's been really fun. Actually, two weeks ago, in the office, we had a play test, and I built. I spent the weekend building a battle cage <laughs> in the office, uh, and uh, like a physical battle cage, like yeah, like a physical battle. I can send the picture. Uh, you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe can tweet that out. Yeah, and the battle cage was that I was curating matches. It's like I saw it like UFC, right? Like I wanted this person. This guy has a personality that is really big and then this other person also does. So I curated battles and had them build up their wizards and then invited them into the cage and then they would submit their moves on the blockchain and uh, you know we had celebrations if someone won. And the amount of energy and the spectatorship around it was just completely different from, from, from CryptoKitties, right? This game is really like this weird combination of esportsy and, and there is an element of winning uh, ETH and then there's an element of, hey, this is actually pretty fun. Uh, and all of our games kind of have a nostalgic factor, right? Uh, with with CryptoKitties, it's like Tamagotchi Neopets. With Cheese Wizard, it's like the most basic game that everyone knows, which is Rock, Paper, Scissors. I mean, everyone growing up as a kid knows and, and are familiar with this game. And I think that we like to build games that are simple and accessible to people, but has the complex the complexity of a decentralized network. And then with a front-facing game that is really weird and wacky and fun at the same time. Well, I'm looking forward to trying, trying it out. Um, I, I definitely feel that, that video games are... Um, probably the first step into getting any real user adoption into the blockchain space based on the way you can trade assets and um, getting, a, getting a lot of the people involved in terms of like one, there's a gambling side, two, there's like a, an asset side of like collectibles and, mm -hmm. and, and building a lot of like collecting a lot of rare things and then showing them off within some context in a community. And that's where games really shine. Um, so like I look forward to kind of like the progress y'all make and the steps you'd make to like helping people figure out why this stuff is useful. And I think games have a lot to do with that. Absolutely. And, you know, one of our investors and biggest supporters, Chris Dixon, uh, we really, we always reference like uh, his blog post uh, that was, I think written like 10 years ago. And it's like every big thing always starts off as a toy. And 
even though some people dismissed CryptoKitties or Cheese Wizards and they prefer to solve uh, medical records on the blockchain, uh, that problem, or um, food waste or something like that, those are also really important things. But uh, in order for us to get to that point, we need people, we need more people around the world to understand what this technology is. Uh, and uh, yeah, games, games is the best way to do it. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if uh, Farmville, right? Like at one point, Farmville brought more than sixty or around seventy percent of the traffic to Facebook, uh, and that actually the Farmville actually brought a lot of uh, moms and international audiences uh, to Facebook because at that time it was all like frat yeah. houses and college students, so it diversified the audience of what social media could social networks could be. Uh, and so we see that very much with um, with the blockchain and games is that this technology is important and probably the most the first use case of it is solving payments and cross border uh, and giving, you know, banking the unbanked. I, I still we all believe that is going to be a huge use case for this. Uh, but in order to get there, we need something cute and cuddly. Well, uh, you, you mentioned them. it earlier. Um, one of the key things that you found and insights that you found and others have found alongside of it is the crypto economic side of this thing, right? And so like, that's a kind of a new budding field in terms of how we create digital scarcity and then tweak the parameters to then incentivize our communities appropriately to do the right thing or like what we think they should be doing. And the easiest way to do that is to create a game where people play the game with different parameters and then and they give you feedback because there's like the, the, the overall like, feeling of what you're doing isn't as serious and people are willing to try and play games and, and uh, cheat the system and so on and so forth. So what you can really end up doing is create a game with a certain set of rules that models what you would do in a real economic system and learn a lot of lessons about that. And that's where I think a lot of these games actually have a tremendous amount of impact is it allows us to play with um, uh, like a mechanism design and mm-hmm. then see how people game that system uh, to try and take advantage of it and win, and see, it, and you kind of push the boundaries of what can actually happen, and you'll end up finding like where that where the happy equilibrium path goes in the process of people just playing a game, potentially earning money, having fun, collecting assets, or whatever it is that game's doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it really does. I think it opens up the door for looking into new ways to build build networks that have crypto economics that makes sense. Uh, I know that for Flow, a lot of the lessons, both in Cheese Wizards and Crypto Kitties, and now the NBA game that we're working on, uh, all of those lessons of crypto, crypto economics fuel everything that we develop. Uh, we really see it as like, we started off as, as an experiment and we've built many amazing products in the past and we intend to continue to build amazing products in the future. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all based on incentives and users and, and how do we make it easy? So I, I do agree on that. Um, so yeah, that's a big focus for us for sure. Awesome. So, um, where can people find out more? How do they reach out? Yeah. So Dapper Labs is the company cheese wizards coming out really soon. We're going to be at DevCon. Uh, we have a meetup and that's going to be the open beta. I really encourage everyone to, uh, give it a go. It's on RankBeast, so there's nothing to lose. Um, if you sign up now on the website, it's C-H-E-E-Z or Z-E and then wizards with an S uh, dot com. Uh, that way you'll receive the email of when we have the open beta and you'll get a taste of uh, if this is your first blockchain game, I think you'll be really excited. And then on the 14th, uh, the game, the tournament will officially start. Uh, and uh, yeah, we have a lot in store for this. So uh, cheese wizards coming up and then if you're interested in dapper labs in terms of like knowing more about flow and knowing more about that we also built the smart contract wallet which is another part of the story uh, that we didn't really discuss a lot about uh, but yeah feel free to follow us on dapper labs we'll keep you posted on all the cool things that we're working on and if you're in vancouver canada do give us a visit uh, we always appreciate uh, guests awesome thanks for coming on the show i really appreciate it Thank you so much, Corey, for inviting me on the show. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Benny Aji Yang. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. 
It was? I mean, it was entertaining. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I didn't either. It just happened when I saw his name. Uh, we, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you're a developer, developer, a developer, it inspired you to get your dev on with some of this non fungible token and goodness, man. Um, so I don't know, man. I think, I think it's gonna help. I, th- I think there's gonna be one team that unlocks. The power of the ooze. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's two different ways. <laughs> we watched we watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last night, the original. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I think D's gonna. Did you tweet that out? I did tweet it. Oh, out. Tw- D tweeted out a part where um, the chief of police, the chief of police, is trying to explain some some stuff that's going on in the city. And the process of doing that, he's trying to use a bunch of like high level words, and he's, you can you can clearly see he's making it up. And at one point, he finishes off with, we're doing it in a decentralized network strategy or scheme. Mm -hmm. And he, like, finishes off with a smile on his face. And the reporter's like, can you say any of that in English? Uh, (laughs) None of that made sense. And it was, like, it was was such a perfect example of what I thought, like, you know, what the ICO boom was and how everyone pitched their product. Mm -hmm. Still continuously. It's like, you know, just saying a bunch of shit that sounds really smart. And then the people who you're trying to reach are just like, uh, what? Yeah. That's the biggest problem with the crypto community <laughs> is that everybody's having this like dick slash, uh, uh, I guess we'll say clip measuring contest. What a weird um, way you took that. Go ahead. Keep going. Let's, well, see, let's just, see where this goes. I'm just going to say that they're measuring their privates. <laughs> and you got to include, you know, women, right? Because they're measuring too. So maybe it's a dick measuring and tip perkiness measuring. I don't know. How do women keep, compete? Keep digging that hole, bro. I'm not digging the hole. <laughs> I'm pouring concrete. I'm making it a nice pool. I'm trying to figure out how we <laughs> how we include women in the dick measuring contest. Because women compete, too. I remember. So this, this is a real off topic. But we used to play beer pong in my old house in college. You were there. <laughs> That was the funniest. You were there, and this is when me and my wife were dating. I don't think we were engaged at this point, but she she lived with us and she played beer pong with us. And we were playing, and you know, I made a cup or someone made a cup, and, and you know, the standard trope of like, yeah, I did that because I got a big ass dick. You know, we're all drunk, <laughs> having fun, whatever. And my wife makes a cup later on the night. She's like, yeah, I did it because I got a deep vagina, and we all stop. <laughs> And look at her, and we're like, just we just lost, we lost it. We we lo- I like, lost my shit. <laughs> and she's like, you know, because you got to say something. <laughs> I I couldn't believe she said it, and maybe that's it. No, I don't know. But women compete either way. Keep going. Okay. Hashtag feminism. Keep going. Yeah. Hashtag them too. And so, Anyways, on crypto Twitter is this big contest about who can use the biggest words the most intricately. It's really fun to see in in real time. Like if you ever see a crypto Twitter, like someone who is dependent upon crypto Twitter to have their influence, I guess. A-pomp? Yeah, like well not A-pomp. A-pomp is just like uh saying ridiculous the shit. Cheerleader. Like, yeah, like he's a glory, he's like a he's like a He's a hopium dealer. Hopium dealer. He he's a hopium. <laughs> he's, he certainly dealer. is. Like I was at one point, but I I've kind of backed off from that because there's no sense in dealing hopium. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, get a job. I don't think I've ever heard that term. You used that term before? Hopium. Hopium dealer. I got it from Andy in the Slack. Shout yeah. out to Andy. Shout out but, Andy. Good job, Andy. But that's what it is. It's, it's injecting hopium into people's veins. Like the banks are gonna collapse, mm, and then I'm gonna be rich. <laughs> yes, mm, feels so good. And then when it, when they get off of that high from that hopium, they go right back to Apom's Twitter profile, and he's like, "Bitcoin is gonna make you the richest person on the planet. Believe me. Bitcoin cures mold." Bitcoin cures cancer. Bitcoin <laughs> cures. It's like, dude, Bitcoin the, fixes this. Shut the fuck up. Like that's what. That, but anyways, you'll see if you go deep enough into the Ethereum community, it's like seventeen syllable words strung together with gerunds in ways that you've never seen before, and everybody's just like, "We're gonna out 
outsmart each other in real time. And meanwhile, like nobody cares. And so you just <laughs> you just kind of look at all that and that's they take that and they present that to the public at the same time, which is not ideal. Like you can't go in front of a room full of people who are genuinely enthused with this thing that you're building and say some bullshit like decentralized network schema. Well, that's, what I was, that's what I was talking about with the games earlier. It was like, <laughs> yeah. hey, someone's like, hey, man, I made this game. It's built on blockchain technology. You're like, I ain't playing this shit. Yeah. This is not a game. Just make a fun game. <laughs> just, make, just make a fun game. I, that's, this, is a, this is a pro tip to anyone devin in this, in this space is that like people don't care how smart you are. They care how cool the thing is that you're building and how easy it is to use. For example, we used Aragon yesterday, and it was a fucking dream. Like it's it's built better than websites that have existed for eons now. It was easy to use. Most things were explained. Most things were explained very well. Aragon, but not all of it. But took some googling. Took, yeah. took some googling on a few things. Like, what choice should we make here? But even that, in and of itself, is you make something that's so fun to use that people don't mind taking the time to Google it. If you you could you could figure out like you know it, it deploys contracts on your behalf that are set with a specific type of parameters and boundaries and do certain things right. But like at no point do you does it tell you that? Yeah. It doesn't you know because you don't need to know. It says all right, this works. Here's your here's your organization. It's run it, it's run by smart contracts, but we don't need to tell you that. Yeah, that's not important. You can like, you can dig into the details to find addresses to these things, but yeah, it was very smooth. I want to talk with someone on our team now because it was yeah, we'll that bring smooth. Him on. I think I'll bring them on hashing out, or even just bring them on here. I don't know. I think we should do a full suite. I think we should bring them on TVP, then hashing it out, the dose of ether. We'll figure it out. We will. We do. But anyways, what I'm trying to say ultimately is that you make something that's fun and people want to use. And like one last story on this before we'll move the topic. Uh, I have a brother. He studies very intricate music. And his professor told him, he was like, look, man, we know all this stuff about music that nobody gives a shit about. At the end of the day, you make music that makes people feel good. And I was like, I happened to be there for that conversation. It was like office hours and I was randomly visiting my brother. And he was like, yo, come to these office hours with me because after that, we got to go get some shit. I was like, cool. And I was like, man, that's the sign of someone who really knows his shit and has some wisdom about him. It's like, yeah, we can play the most complex shit on the planet, but at the end of the day, you play stuff that people want to hear. And that's the, that's what the crypto community needs to start understanding. It's like, man, we could fucking cure cancer with these ones and zeros, but like, if nobody understands it and nobody can do it easily, then it's never going to work. Well, if we aren't, if, if the people who are developing applications and in, 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 in end user facing things, don't get that and develop for them as opposed to solving like having a problem looking for a solution or having a solution looking for a problem mm -hmm. then it's nothing's ever going to take off because people don't care and we've been saying that for a long time yeah that's true so it's uh, most of the weight in this is not is not only on the people developing the underlying protocol and these networks that people adopt but also like it's on the application developers to make all the decisions um, and and make things with care so that their end users don't have to care. Mm -hmm. So they have to care so they can make a quality product so their users don't have to. And that's really, really, really hard because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're like this technology forces the users to make more, to take on more responsibility for their own stuff. If they're owning their own data, that means they have to take on that responsibility. Yeah. Or be informed on how to make good decisions within whatever context they're in. Mm -hmm. So when they're doing something, they're playing with your app, and there's a new behavior that they're not used to, the application should help Prompt. them into it the right way to go yeah. without being too cumbersome. And that's really, really, really hard to do. So it application is. developers have a big task. And I think that's why we don't have a lot of good applications yet is because that, that is really hard, and we're still trying to figure out the technology first before we can actually build things on top of it mm -hmm. we're doing both at the same time there's there's a lot going on in crypto I, I wish the academic side of it would be a little bit louder they're never going to be louder i mean you, you what you get when you get someone who gets loud is you know emin goon Sarir. he's like the one guy that got loud and now he's running his own project and 
basically, I don't, I don't know how much, like a good portion of his time is becoming a businessman and not an academic. I think the louder you get and the more acumen you get, you, it's hard to stay in academia because they're, they're very they're of, conflicting yeah. uh, ethos. Maybe I'm wrong because I left academia. I mean, I, and I can probably still jump back in there and be just fine. One thing I do know about when you jump out of academia and you go to start make that paper, people instantly hate you. Like if I mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson, a bunch, a, a bunch, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson amongst some scientists, like 50 percent of them will be like, fuck that guy. Fuck his mustache. That's, jealousy. that's just that's just jealousy. It is. But. It's not needed. It's like, like Bill Nye. Bill Nye changed my life, man. I love that guy. Oh, I was he's a not kid. really a scientist. See what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> being a real scientist, like fuck that guy. Fuck his nose. No, he's done a lot. He's done a lot for. He's done a lot for science. Fuck his stupid white coat. Fuck his voice. I don't know shit about science. Anyways, <laughs> we're off the rails. Let's go. Let's, let's wrap it up from here. This is enough. Um, yeah. So if you enjoyed this episode, uh, we do this shit all the time. We've been doing it for years. Uh, I'm Lord of the GPPs. You know what that means. Listen to last week's episode. Um, go to the BitcoinPodcast.com. Uh, go to the Slack button. Join our Slack. There's a lot of people in there that talk towards crypto week in and week out. It's a community that we are grooming. And we'd like for it to be rather large. I mean, because most of the direction that we get on how to who to interview and what to talk to comes from the Slack community because out of just pure curiosity from one or many people in there. So we hope that you join the Slack and you join those conversations. You can get Slack on your phone. It's basically like AOL instant messenger, but different. And uh, <laughs> you can you can hang out with us. Uh, we also hope you go to store.thebitcoinpodcast.com uh, because that's where we have shirts. You can buy shirts, stickers, uh, pillows, uh, pillowcases, beanbag chair replacements. There's a lot of things. Mugs. 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 Hats. Uh, hats. A hat. Fanny packs. We have fanny packs? We have fanny packs. Oh, I'm getting a fanny pack. Get the I didn't even know we had those. Bro. I'm getting one. Like we today. Got them. Fanny packs are on there. Brought to you by, paid for um, by TBP. We also, shout out to Andy, shout out to Alicia. Um, who in the Slack deserves a shout out this week? JT's always coming in the clutch, but I feel Timothy, you're always coming in the clutch too, as a GPP like myself. So shout out to you. Uh, oh yeah, I happened yesterday. Ray found out that the Casa nodes. We probably should have talked about that. For no, that's that's not. I don't think that's they're fixing it. We should have Ray Ray on Ray, to Ray called out Kaza on some security issues that they were having with their nodes based on some some stuff that they just shouldn't have happened based on the amount that they say they're doing security and I think they're it's underway to being to being fixed right now. Okay. Well, if Ray if you decide that uh you want to If you come have a Kaza right? node, you should definitely check out their Twitter and Ray redacted. Yes, you should. Um, we have a book. If you're on the BitcoinPodcast.com, this book is a table read. It's great for company. All it is is we ask a trademark question to all of our guests when they come on the show. In ten words or less, can they describe Bitcoin, blockchain, or Ethereum? And we collected all that and curated it and put it into a nice book for you guys, so that you can pontificate with them. That's right. It's kind of fun to listen to. Like it, it spans over a couple of years, especially during the bull run, the bear run, kind of ICO boom, and it it's over time you see like a bunch of a tremendous amount of different answers about what this technology is from different people of different walks of life, and so it it kind of I think it does a good job of figuring out like showing you like this stuff touches the lives of a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if I have anything else to shout out, really. Um, My dog is having breathing problems, apparently. She seems okay now. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in to another week of the Bitcoin Podcast. Please tune into the other shows. Dose of either hashing it out, just the headers. Um, That's about it, yeah. Uh, We'd love for you guys to tune into all of them. All right. 
shout out to Zoe Saldana, Zati Beats, uh, play.